Welcome back to Incremental, the Continuous Improvement Podcast. This is our practice edition where we talk about the improvements we've made this week and tie them back to lean principles. I am Uriel Eisen. And I am Devin Bedoni. And Devin, you have a quote. I do. Progress will never pay a visit to those who stubbornly insist that their way is right and no other means are possible. Yet, if we keep an open mind and believe that there are several possible means to each end, improvement ideas will emerge through the process of selecting the best method. Thus, the single most important prerequisite for improvement is an open mind. Shigeo Shingo, Key Strategies for Plant Improvement. Blam. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> um, open up your mind. Um, yeah, we've been talking about this a lot, but it seems to be... I mean, Shigeo said it, so it must be true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's important. Don't, it as, don't assume. Yeah. And reading his books, basically, it is a bunch of stories of him going into plants and they explain why things are kind of messed up and they want improvements. And he's like, it's not inherent. Like there's a view, there's a view that they have that what they're doing like i remember one where they were preheating some food product at a bakery mm. and they were they were bottlenecked by their oven right and it was like a very long process to warm it up it was inconsistently warmed and that caused issues down the line but they were packing as much into the oven as possible to get there mm. mm -hmm. and he was like what yeah and the answer turned out to be, which is an open mind, uh, thinking about this, which I think tying back to last episode only comes from really thinking hard about what is the actual problem. And the actual problem was total throughput, not how much was in an oven. Yeah. Um, and so they put the, he recommended putting less in the oven. So you'd have more heat. You'd have more airflow between them. Mm -hmm. I forget if they added a fan to move more air. I don't remember, but just by spacing out the material in the oven so there was air between everything reduced the cycle time substantially. Yeah. Um, so that they could more quickly pass stuff to the next process. So they actually reduced their batch size, which decreased batch delays. Yeah. Simultaneously, the increased airflow also total in 24 hours, they could do a lot more. It yeah. almost doubled, I think, their throughput. So Interesting. This is, this is totally an aside and a distraction. Yeah. But when I was in like fifth grade, you know how like in classrooms, like there's these weird fads that happen mm. and they just make whatever. Yeah. Some kid does a thing and then everybody's like, oh, I want to do that too. Yeah. Um, somehow we, there, this fad started where everybody was bringing like their own microwave lunches. Oh, funny. Uh, but there was one microwave and every, so looking back on it, the solution is clear. Everybody would pack their stuff into this microwave all together. <laughs> and because there was so much food in there it, and there's only so much energy in a microwave. Right. It just would take like it'd be like gone for like 15 minutes and no one's food was hot. <laughs> and like, we would just do this day after day after day. And like, if only a Shigio had paid a visit or yeah. if you guys have had an open mind, Dude, the answer was quite clear that you, each person could have in turn put their food in for like a minute and a half and it would have been hot. Right. But that would require some organization and someone being willing to go last. And as fifth graders, we were not capable. Yeah. 
That makes sense. It's just great funny. quote. Single piece flow. It's the way. Yeah. Even with lunch. Even sort of. <laughs> Maybe. Unless we're trying to have a social meal. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, we were talking about, well, a few improvements to the podcast. We added a, an external screen where we're recording so that both of us can see the recording time. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone had asked about improvements yeah to the podcast so we're trying to share them um so we did that we also updated the uh we standardized the intro for the practice edition so if anyone can think of an update to that standard please write in (laughs) um and we also recently we we used to record and then go our separate ways. I would do the show notes, yeah, you'd and do then show notes. you would upload it, and we'd do that sort of the morning of. So if people have noticed that we're a little more consistent with posting it in the morning, the reason is we now uh, have combined the posting process with um, recording. So yeah. now the second we finish recording each episode, we do the full upload. We write the notes while it's still fresh in our heads, which has made that process a lot easier, mm-hmm. post it and schedule it. Um, and yeah, that reduces whip. Um, so all of the time that was invested, well, I guess it still publishes. So it still sort of adds value to the end consumer. Uh, hopefully, um, <laughs> at the same time. So maybe the whip is the same, well, no, from a but I from think us doing work standpoint, the work is done. The work is done. Yeah, that's true. From stuff being on our to-do list. Yeah. So now it's not on our to-do, to-do list. And I think the quality increases because there's less of a delay between recording it and writing the show notes, which mm-hmm. I think has been helpful. Um, it's also just overall faster, I think. Everything's open true. right here. Yeah. It's less. Yeah, there's not the waste of... I've been thinking about that actually a lot in our shop. I think it's a hidden waste. It's not hidden. It's like totally identified by Toyota and everyone else. But I think to the person in the shop, it's hidden. Every time you set something down to then pick it up later, Mm. that is all waste. Mm -hmm. And that is why one of the big reasons single piece flow is huge is because things don't get put into storage and taken out of storage again. Mm -hmm. Um, And similarly to your point, we would record put everything away, close the browser windows, whatever. Yeah. Then all that time of going and finding the correct one, clicking into the correct episode, that is all t- wasted time. Anyway, yeah. um, we Small also things. decided a new on a new standard for the episode, which is we're, uh, we're going to try to just trade off improvements. Yeah. Yeah. Put anyway. pressure on me to keep up. <laughs> oh, no. Whatever. Otherwise, we'll be out of sequence and then the whole show. Oh, will true. Fall apart. <laughs> just end. Up. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Devin's out. <laughs> no. You want to lead us off? Oh, sure. Um, let's see. Quick review of the eight lean wastes, overproduction, overprocessing, excess inventory, defects, transportation, wasted motion, waiting, wasted human potential. Uh, we've started doing these also in our, uh, like in our shop mm-hmm. because I just feel like adding, we've talked about this, but adding lenses to looking at your current state is really helpful to fight the issue of becoming um, habituated to the way you're doing things is Mm. what I found. Yeah. So like there's a really fun one that I saw from, it's a little depressing, but also awesome um, from seating matters. Yeah. Where as someone working in a station, you can just say to yourself, like even out loud, you know, 
no value, no value, no value, no value, value, yeah. no value, no value. And just to pointing at different things that you're doing. No, as you're doing the process you're meant to be doing, uh, the only time you're adding value is when a material is changing shape, right? Or changing state or yeah. so like assembling, disassembling, uh, like in paint, the only value add is when paint is landing on the part. Yeah. Everything else is waste and it can be demoralizing because it's about 85% of what you're doing is waste but it really brings into focus um, series of movements that, or, or, or processes that we've spent time refining, but actually we need to spend time eliminating, right? Like, yeah. oh, we made it faster to pick up this screw instead of eliminating a screw from the assembly or something yeah. like that. Anyway. I was, um, <clears throat> another aside, but... I was working in paperless parts this last week doing this first like large quote that I'd done. Yeah. And um, I was figuring out, trying to figure out how to do like uh, basically like an add on like tooling cost plus this. And it was like 16 different part numbers. So I was going through and like editing all of these different part numbers over and over and over and over again. Okay. And it was kind of like that thing, that concept you've talked about of, of being like, to highlight something even further to like oh, yeah. pick it up, put it down, pick it up, put it down. Like if you have to do a thing, repeat it. Um, and it made it very clear like where the pain points were Interesting. and it was actually really helpful. And I made some notes and then in the next meeting I was like, okay, so I think what I really need is some templates for this and this. Cause I'm finding myself like deleting, deleting, deleting every single time, deleting, deleting, deleting every single time Interesting. or forgetting and, and leaving stuff in there that shouldn't be in there. And, uh, it was, it was kind of cool to like actually see that in practice of being like, okay, so if I force myself to repeat this process six times, it really becomes clear where yeah. the issue is. And I think when you do a repetitive process, but it feels new every time because it's a new part, it's harder to see that mm. than when it's the actually like, like literally just the same thing over and <laughs> over like, wow. again. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's basically, I mean, batch work, I think hides inefficiencies instead yeah. of yeah you're amortizing it um that is cool yeah so an actual improvement we made um pneumatic assembly jigs yeah you sent me a video yeah i was curious that i mean it's just kind of like <laughs> it dropped a video it didn't say anything <laughs> uh, this is cool <laughs> yeah so uh basically our uh we've been taking things step by step with a uh, our target being um reducing assembly uh time on the assembly uh in the assembly area and sort of just taking little steps at that uh so the first thing we did well back i guess two two plus years ago mm -hmm. i realized we needed an assembly jig mm -hmm. and i 3d printed this little cradle where you'd lay a body in and then you'd pick up a pair of pliers You'd pick up a spring with a pair of pliers, sort of hold it in the right position, mm -hmm. press the cam down while catching the back of the spring, Yeah. hold that all in position, then sort of pick the whole thing up and push a pin through it sideways. Yeah. It was very, uh, there was a learning curve because it, and if you messed it up, it would scrap apart because the spring would sort of slip out and scratch yeah. the part. Um, we used that for probably a year mm. and you get a lot better at it. Right. But it's still yeah uh, bad. So then I built a mechanical version where, and the big challenge it took me quite a while to solve was how to bring the parts together fully constrained um, 
at, that would align like uh, that would allow you to put the spring in getting the spring in as a really confined space was tricky um but a fully mechanized process that had no feel yeah <laughs> and so figured that out and it was all manually actuated but that was a huge step forward and that's um, what you've been using up until recently yeah so that's what we were using and actually on the one inch cams because we've sold fewer of them which i think has to do with the fact that we don't offer them in all the colors uh. <laughs> um but we're starting to sell a lot more of them until recently has been that old cradle oh, interesting. with the pliers. Um, and Sam was not a big fan of that. <laughs> uh, anyway, so we got a big order recently for one inch and I was like, okay, this is a good time to yeah. update. So I built one again for the one inch that was all mechanical. This time I realized on the last one, the body was fixed and then the cam was in a moving carrier and then the spring injector was also in a moving it was mm -hmm. a moving piece and i realized i wanted to um feed the springs from a vibratory ball feeder yeah and so having a moving spring injector was a problem and so with the one inch uh one of the design goals was a fixed spring injector mm. so that down the road it can be fed from a vibratory ball feeder so did that made that um Turns out you don't have enough hands to actuate everything that needed to be actuated on that one. <laughs> and so we sort of like retrofitted a bit. We assembled a few. And then I uh, just decided to make a pneumatic because it's something we've been meaning to do. So yeah, just designed one, 3D printed it, bought some pneumatic actuators, some cheap pneumatic actuators. Mm -hmm. Went for a pretty small piston size because so I stuck my fingers in it and actuated it and it's fine. <laughs> Like that was the, the goal, right? Yeah. I just turned the <laughs> regulator all the way down and then sort of brought it up to pressure and make sure made sure it functioned, make sure it wouldn't hurt you. I like that that was your test though, straight to the finger. <laughs> I was like, if I'm not willing to stick my fingers in it, you know. Well, no, but you could have tested it on a hot dog or something Oh, first. no, but I tested it with like zero pressure first, right? And slowly brought it up. Gotcha. And it was like, it was really gentle and then it got less and less gentle. And anyway, yeah, that's true. Um but yeah, so that reduces... Are you, so are you using it? Like on yeah, the Yeah, it's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Uh, I didn't solve all the problems. Like at some point in CAD, you know when you're like, how am I going to attach that thing to that thing? Yeah. And I was just like, I don't know. I'll figure it out. <laughs> I just printed it and we're just like crazy glued parts together, <laughs> um, which is working. Yeah. And then it popped apart. And so we glued it back together. And now I'm going to figure out what threaded... What I couldn't find a spec on the threaded holes of the because I bought some cheap pneumatic actuators. Oh, so I didn't know what the threaded hole was. Gotcha. So I have to on my list is to figure that out and cut in some screw holes. Yeah, gotcha. Um, but yeah, it works great. Um, and the second we had it done, um, I it just occurred to me. So firstly, the reason we added it is noticing. Like there's a lot of wasted motion mm -hmm. of putting the parts in. Then you have to move your hands over to the back of the carriers to push them together. Then you have to lock it. Then you have to go reach for a pin, carefully insert the pin into the hole, mm -hmm. tap that down. Then you release the hole, uh, the, the, the assembly jig, and then you move the partially assembled buckle into a press and press the pin in. The second I saw that, uh, I then picked up the whole assembly jig and stuck it into the press. Mm -hmm. So now um, you can assemble it in the press. 
Oh, cool. Without your hands being in the press because the carriers travel a good distance. Oh, I was so wondering they come why all they the way were out. so far. Yeah. You insert the part, then it carries them in. And so I think we're going to either... I have a pneumatic uh, press, but it's kind of massive and can do like 6,000 pounds, yeah. which is definitely like ruin your fingers. Yeah. And so I'm kind of on the fence about whether as a step, as a next step to just order another cheap Arbor press and just have a dedicated one for each size, uh-huh. or if I should put it into the pneumatic press. If I do put it into, into the pneumatic press, do I, um, do I buy a pneumatic press for each product or do I do a quick change on the existing product? Do you know how much pressure it takes to press the pin? I would guess it's uh, like 500 pounds it's not a lot because you but could it just would still wreck your fingers sure you could just buy another cylinder that's a little bit bigger and integrate it into the tool that's true build my own press basically yeah but it might not even have to be that that's a good point complicated like maybe not 3d printed like you might yeah, need yeah, some yeah. metal but right very simple yeah i was definitely sort of dusting off some of the specifics of smed in this in thinking yeah. about using a press it I'm realizing I, I should come up with a standard, even if it's one for each one, mm. a standard press height. Yeah. Like how tall, where does the piston go down to? Yeah. And if that is always standard across every press, mm-hmm. then that will be big. And so I'm just deciding on our maximum buckle size that we could conceivably do down the road. I mean, not conceivably, but within reason that we have plans to do. And then I'll build all the press tooling so that the top face of the pin ends up at the same distance from the platen, basically. Yeah. When it's pressed. Yeah. Um, so that was, yeah, standardized. Um, or, you know, honestly, on a pneumatic cylinder, you don't really care where it ends because it, like, it, the bottoming out isn't really a big deal. It's more about where it retracts to and having minimal hmm. over travel. I don't want it to be able to go down further than the set point. Like, then oh. where that pin gets pressed to. It doesn't hit a hard stop? I'd rather the hard stop be in the press, I think. Hmm. Okay. I think. Maybe I'm thinking about it wrong. I'll have to think about that. Um, yeah, so that, that was that. And then, so this is just, like, taking little little swings at, at specific issues. So yeah. I think we can tackle that problem. My brother, Alicia, a while ago was visiting, and he designed, I think I mentioned this, designed a set of fingers that holds a pin so that you don't have to tap the pin into the body and mm-hmm. then insert it into the press. It holds it below the arbor press fingers. The arbor press comes down and presses presses it into the body, and then those pi- those fingers sort of just swing out of the way. Yeah. So I kind of want to get that integrated next, and then you can just drop a pin down the side, and there's just a chute that carries it right into those fingers Yeah, is the goal. I just had another thought. Yeah. If you do start turning your pins, yeah, um, <clears throat> you could turn turn a, them to order and drop it right into the press. <laughs> <laughs> Some, no, sorry, someday, yeah. someday. <laughs> yeah. um, no, you could turn one end to a smaller diameter, uh huh, and then you could under ream the far end of the buckle, yeah, <clears throat> so that you had a section of pin that would just drop right into the oh, hole. like a lead-in kind of. A lead-in That's alignment. That's a cool idea. And then it would press through, and you, and then it would press into the far side. Right. You'd have to maintain tighter tolerance on that turn section. Yeah. That's a cool idea. it would totally negate that whole 
right finger thing like right it would just go in it would just fall in and yeah, yeah. that's a cool idea um so next steps yeah adding that finger um probably and actuating the spring like the spring is insertion is currently manual uh. we had an interesting failure which was forgetting to insert the spring which is immediately apparent when you unload it but it's just <laughs> interesting thinking about like pokey oak mm -hmm. is there a way that we can make it obvious or impossible to move to the next step until you've achieved the previous step yeah or do we arrange the controls such that you're sort of actuating them from left to right? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know. Some way of ensuring that that failure, because then you unload it, then you're like, oh, didn't put it in the spring because it's all yeah. floppy. So then you disassemble it, put it back <laughs> in and redo it. So that's waste. I mean, at least you don't scrap apart, but. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So that's been a ton of fun. And by the way, 3D printers make really crappy things. And those crappy things are so awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's just like I used to think 3D printing was like back in college. I was like, the, the product is not good. Yeah. But it is so good. Um, yeah. <laughs> Wrap your head around that one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's ugly. It's not exactly what you want. Mechanically, the yeah. material isn't amazing. No. But the time spent is so minimal. Yeah. And it works really well. Mm -hmm. And if you're clever about it, it works really, really well. Yeah. I think. Anyway. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I'm just dabbling, but same. I have lots <laughs> of, lots of ideas. Yeah. Um, so we added a generic setup point and call sheet slash checklist. Okay. Um, still figuring out. <laughs> when I explained point and call to the employees, mm -hmm. I was basically like, we just have to agree not to judge each other for looking ridiculous. <laughs> um, Are you guys doing it out loud? Um, I think so far I'm the only one who's done it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so basically the issue we are having, which I think putting it in lean principles would be defects, um, was that... I had written an SOP and this kind of harkens back to last episode of actually following SOPs. Yeah. I'd written an SOP. It was separate from our setup sheets. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it wasn't getting followed explicitly. Uh, and there's certain steps in that that aren't necessarily intuitive, mostly to do with documentation of the setup for, okay. for repeats. Um, and so I was like, how should we, we had a discussion at morning, morning meeting, like, how should we tackle this? And basically the, the prognosis or the decision was just like, let's just make a thing right at the mill. That is before you put the green thing on the mill, you go through this list. Very and cool. It's very generic and may need to be modified at some point, but it, I think it does the trick. And That's awesome. It's very visible. It's right where you kind of like mentally make that transition from setup to, to let a rip and, mm -hmm. and run with it. Um, so I think it's going to be a, a big benefit. And so basically it was just, it was very generic. So it was just like, have you set your origins? Have you double checked your tool list and made sure that everything that's on the list is in the machine? Yep. Um, <clears throat> is everything aligned correctly? Uh, was the first part within spec um, or is, are the parts running in spec? Have you taken photographs of the setup and loaded them back into the setup? And have you added any notes that needed to be 
added about the setup that were missed mm-hmm. in the initial? And have you confirmed that the G code you're running is uploaded back into the oh nice the setup sheet? Um, all pretty basic stuff, but I don't know. It's easy to forget one or two, right? Every time when you're just trying to do it from memory. Um, and I think eventually, as I've said, with our new setup sheet system, I think more of this is going to be built in okay. as kind of a checklist as part of the setup. But I think this will still be useful as a on the front of the machine reminder. Did you do this? Yeah. Every step. Yeah. Exactly. That, that's very cool. And so, so the most defect process there... defects, like defects being that we don't have a fully documented setup sheet. Right. So actually that's interesting. That's going back to moving away from thinking about the product being the piece of yeah. material you're shipping to the customer and the, instead the product is a total job. Yeah. Doc like completed, documented. Like sort of it's more about the paperwork than the parts in a funny way. It is. There's parts of it that are about the parts, like making sure they're within spec. And that that is what the customer is paying for. <laughs> yeah. But the yeah. majority of it is about our internal process. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe it is about the parts. I mean, it definitely is about the parts. It's just that that is where all of the focus has been for years. And so that is not the struggle at all. Yeah. Right. I think so. Like it's sort of a given. What's a given? That the parts are going to come off the machine, more or less? That you're shipping parts to the customer. Oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> but all of the... So all of the improvements primarily are around how that happens, how yeah. that comes to happen. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. I'm excited. Um, we... So in, in building that pneumatic assembly jig, we've been... Uh, the last week, we were walking across the shop to get the air hose from the blasting cabinet. Fantastic. Dragging it across the <laughs> shop to the assembly area, mm. doing our assembly, then realizing, oh, we need to do more sandblasting, so we drag it back <laughs> over there. Like that. Um, which, in looking at that, it's like egregious waste. Mm. I think there's a lot of examples of that where it's just a little less apparent, but it's as inane, like just yeah. silly. Yeah. In every sort of factory. I think a lot about that. Like we are building these very small companies and refining stuff that like in very small spaces. Mm-hmm. I've been touring some companies and all of these wastes exist but are just massively bigger. It's like when you talk about putting something down and then picking it back up yeah. in a big factory, that's often like a five minute walk. Yeah. Like no joke, right? <laughs> it's like, geez. Yeah. So we're kind of, it's funny. It like hides a lot of the stuff. Yeah. The fact that we're in such small spaces, but it's still right. bad. Like us walking from one department to the other, sandblasting to assembly is the same distance, probably shorter than a lot of people's one area yeah right like shorter than most people like getting from their dining room table to their sink (laughs) yeah and so like it's still a pain but i feel like there's a lot of places where you walk across to get an air hose right to blow off a part and it's like you don't have one at every station you have yeah one communal one so um that was one of the observations i think it was it wasn't teichiono it was i forget which toyota it was the son of the founder mm. forgetting his name. Anyway, he went to the fabric, the loom makers in England mm-hmm. 
and they were doing everything was custom was they'd make standard parts but everything was hand fitted mm -hmm. and all of the vices and tools for were on the perimeter and the assembly happened in the middle so you'd go try your part and then you'd walk back over to a vice pick mm -hmm. up your file file walk back to the part mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of back and forth um, anyway, so moved the air dryer. So the air dryer used to be under our under one of the tables, but in our shop, that space is pretty prime real estate, uh, and you never have to interact with it. So I moved it up onto a shelf, yeah. high up, um, and then put another outlet at the thing, at an the, air outlet, an air outlet at the assembly area, so that eliminates um, wasted motion. Um, in a number of ways one getting the air but now we've opened up some nice real estate for keeping some more things we're, we're starting to run into limits on our space so yeah yeah that's real um well we bought a forklift bam that's yeah. exciting it was cool uh was not planning to actually. okay um timing was not fantastic from a cash flow standpoint yeah uh but i had been uh, I had a Craigslist alert for the last year. I feel like I had a pretty good idea of what prices were. Oh, cool. This one happened to be only about 40 minutes away, maybe even half an hour away. And the price was very right. Nice. It's old. Uh, it certainly does not look beautiful, but it ran well. Um, so that's kind of all I care about. Yep. Um, and yeah, it's basically going to just make our whole life of unloading and reloading materials a lot less, mostly a lot less dangerous, hmm. but also just less uncomfortable and probably quicker as well. Yeah. Safety's big. Safety's big. Yeah. That's not, I guess on there as a lean, a I feel lean like it's waste. not a waste. It's just, it's just like an overarching <laughs> principle. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, mostly about safety. Uh, and actually it came in right in handy. Uh, we shipped out, a 2000 pound crate of product Jeez. like a few days after we got it. So it was really nice to be able to just pick it up and put it in the truck and not have to do a whole, you know, we have a pallet stacker, right? But it only works in this, you know, on concrete, our driveways gravel. Yeah. It's, it's like a whole to do to try and get stuff into a truck. Um, so it's actually probably where it's going to be the most beneficial is for our chip runs. I think it's mm. going to probably cut like, 45 minutes off that whole process. Okay. Just with getting the, the chip bins into the truck right now, that's a, that's a real thing. And I think this is going to make it like a five minute thing. Interesting. I was going to check for an ROI mm. just, just out of curiosity, 3,500 mm -hmm. divided by 0.75 of a minute of a, of a, of an hour. Yeah, but we only do it like once or twice a month. Right, right. So, um, well, well, we'll do it offline. It's just interesting. I'm sure it's pretty long, but I feel like the yeah. safety thing is huge, and I've the spent more money on less less dangerous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like the chip thing once or twice a month. Sometimes more than that, but once or twice a month is an average. And then yeah. material every week. I bet the ROI is not crazy long i don't think it's bad and yeah. i think we'll end up using it for other stuff right as my mentor said it's the best pair of sawhorses you'll ever buy <laughs> <laughs> that's very funny fully adjustable fully adjustable and they'll hold as much weight as you want that's cool yeah nice um let's see 
Oh, you tested the multi. Oh yeah. Tooth. Yeah. So I got them. I got a multi tooth in there. Uh, I ran it. It was nerve wracking. Uh-huh. Um, did it throw apart? It did not throw apart. It worked great. Cool. Uh, I haven't yet implemented into production. I want to run some parts, do like full testing, make sure the teeth are formed. Yeah. Properly. Properly and everything else. Look at them closely. Were you able to get the right like uh, pitch? Yeah. Yeah. Within like a couple thou. Oh, cool. And it's, yeah. I mean, it is a functional face, but it's, you know, it needs to develop enough pressure to push into webbing. Yeah. So, yeah, not super critical um, in that way. The distance from the pivot pin is critical. So I just want to make sure mm-hmm. it's not touching the ends at all. So I have to look at it under a microscope. This was, again, just Friday right before leaving. Mm. That's exciting. Yeah, very exciting. That could really improve our throughput on that. Um, And again, it was kind of interesting. The things... um, So the things I was sort of thinking about, like, so value-add versus non-value-add. In a mill, the value-add is when material's being removed. Yeah. Right? So, like, all of the linking moves. And if you look at, like, time in the cut versus... Yeah. It's often, like, 50-50. So it actually, depends what you're doing. The brother machines have a, a display for that. Ooh. Yeah. Um, they, I, I mean, it, it's not necessarily time in the cut. Right. It's time in like. It's G0 G, yeah. versus G1, G2, G3. Yeah. And M codes and stuff. But um, my experience has been most of our parts run in the. 65 to 70% with the rapids turned down and 75 to 85% with the rapids up. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that seems pretty good. It's, it's not like a, yeah, again, it's not like a, an indicator to chase. Right. But it can be, if you're looking at it, it can be a quick thing to be like, okay, this, this part has a lot to be gained. Like on, from a programming side, if we were to reduce linking you know change our strategy so there's right. not so many linking moves yeah versus oh this part has a lot to be gained by increasing our cutting speeds or something like yeah that. sort of just where to focus um yeah so and that- there's a principle that it's like your cutting speeds is the last place to try and cut time out of a of a okay. cycle because it's it's the highest consequences uh-huh and also often the most difficult and so where do you look instead um, linking, yeah. um, is the first place. The brother machines kind of take care of a lot of that for you, um, with sheer speed or because yeah, okay, because yeah. of their speeds, uh, accelerations and stuff. Um, I'm trying to remember what is an article I read quite a while ago. Uh, seems interesting. Stuff outside the machine, obviously. Um, and right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Changing the type of cycles that you use, making sure it doesn't sit idle for two hours once the part <laughs> that you ran really, really fast. Yeah, I don't runs. think that was included in that article, but yeah. it was kind of like, don't if you're if you need to cut cycle time, don't immediately just like go increase all of your feeds by fifty percent. Yeah, like there's probably lower hanging fruit with lower consequences. Yeah, I mean, I was watching. So I've been. Um, the other thing was I was sort of wondering about like applying the eight lean wastes to machines seem reasonable, mm-hmm. right? So like wasted motion. Yeah. It took me a long time to realize like looking at the brother advertising material that like 
it's, it's named in like <laughs> their motto is cutting out the waste. Hilarious. And I was like, Oh, ah. they're on board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of which, this probably is more of a concept, uh, question, mm-hmm. but it's kind of a, a sort of, so if I am bumping up against cycle time, there is no doubt that decreasing that, that de that increasing my batch size would decrease my per part cycle time because I would eliminate tool changes, right? How, if, if I, sorry, if I did a tool change and then use that, that tool over four parts, eight parts. Oh, then if you I'm, went to multi-part flow? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a disturbing thought. No, <laughs> um, no, but I was sort of trying to figure out like, how, how do I fit that in? My world has been rough. <laughs> Right, like to the lean concept of single piece flow. If I am already doing batches, uh-huh. like with these overnight runs, obviously the best option would be that each one of those vices holds a different part, so that I have single assembly flow, uh-huh. so that I have a balanced part list coming off of the machine, which would be better because they do use common tools across the different parts. Uh-huh. So maybe that's the answer, but then if you get into massive, massive, um, I don't know. I'm curious how Toyota thinks about that. If you have, if you get into like huge numbers mm-hmm. of parts, like are there injection molds all single cavity molds? I kind of doubt it. Probably not. Yeah. So like that is sort of the equivalent of what I'm talking about, right? Mm-hmm. You have like transit time of the mold opening and closing. You mm-hmm. have injection time you may as well make a bunch of parts with each cycle of the machine. Uh, assuming that the other downside costs don't outweigh it, which is like tooling cost, potential scrap cost. Yeah. Um, all the other things involved with multi-part flow. Yeah. So I was just kind of like, I in no way am like, maybe we should go back to fixtures or like, like, uh, yeah. Uh, what's it called? Um, tombstones, tombstones pallets. or pallets. Like, there's no way that that is more efficient. Like, part loading is definitely the way for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but adding vices is not a huge cost. Like, mm-hmm. if I put a trunnion on my machine and added a few vices, I don't know. It's very tempting. Mm-hmm. I think I'd decrease my cycle time pretty substantially. I have a lot of tool changes. Gotcha. Maybe the first thing is to eliminate tool changes, but I don't think I can. Like you use 20 tools in a thing, so you potentially have like 30 seconds of tool change time in a, per cycle? Right. Probably not quite that much, but yeah. Well, it's probably about 1.5 seconds per. I don't think tool. I have every tool in each part. Gotcha. Because I have like two parts are for um, the titanium pin. Like right. two tools are for that. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Gotcha. But yeah. Let's Close. say 30, 20 seconds. Whatever. Yeah. 20 seconds out of uh, 180 seconds mm-hmm. currently. So, so if you multiplied that by four, you cut it down to five seconds. Yeah. Anyway, it's there. So I was just kind of like, huh, how do you balance single piece flow with the, like, okay, to be clear, the only reason it is we want to batch is because of the setup time of each tool. If it was instantaneous changes, there would be zero benefit. Yeah. Right. So like it is worth noting that uh, brother with their new, their new machines, the X2 machines, 
shave it from well it's like i don't know 1.3 1. 1. 3 to 1. 1.2 or something yeah <laughs> so like they're they're aware of the that waste but yeah have you are your tools sequential um they are not yet sequential i was looking at that it's on my list now because i already need to redo my standardized tooling if i'm going to implement this multi-tooth yeah. mill and so i think as part of that i'm going to reorder everything by so that the tools by proximity yeah just for, for listeners like in the tool changer if you're going from tool one from tool one to two to tool tool two in your part you want those tools to be right next to each other in the tool changer yeah so that the tool changer doesn't have to travel far so getting back to wasted motion i yeah. guess they're they're quoted times are for adjacent tool pockets yeah you add some amount it's noticeable yeah i watch a tool change where they're right next to each other and then one that's all the way around and then the other thing while i'm at it is i've had a few uh probe tips get broken mm -hmm. because my rougher is right next to my probe and it throws apart and somehow if it ricochets just right i haven't <laughs> ever been there to see it but i come back and yeah my 180 dollar tip $180. How much are they? The probe tips. They're not cheap. 90 bucks. Maybe they are like that. I think they're around that. It's not fun. No, no. It's not ideal. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah. So I think I want to tackle that. Um, yeah. Interesting. Um, we started finally on a new Trunion design for our machines. I've been sort of... I've been wanting to do this since September... Um, kind of came back from IMTS with this new plan for how we're going to implement Gripper for more automation, bought some stuff and then got very busy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was also kind of on the fence about how we were going to tackle certain aspects of it. So I was holding off a little bit. And so for anyone who's not like huge on fourth axis machining, yeah. a trunnion is basically, uh, so there's a fourth axis which turns parts on the table so you can reach many sides. Yep. And then a trunnion, the reason for a trunnion to exist is that you want to put more things on a fourth axis mm -hmm. without losing rigidity-ish. Yeah. So it's a table, basically. It's a table that turned. can tilt. Yeah, tilt table. Um, so I've been going back and forth on kind of like what our design criteria were. And I think finally came up with something like in the last month. And then this last week, um, had an opportunity to schedule some time on the machines to do it and just decided to go for it. Very cool. Um, and so the design was sort of half done, Yeah. but I had worked out the principles in my head. So actually really what I did this last week was mostly design, mm -hmm. spent pretty much a day doing design, did start cutting. Um, but I think, I think it's going to solve a lot of issues relating to setups and smed and okay. cam templating it's going to be like a whole a whole new rollout <laughs> very cool <laughs> which i'm excited about it's going to require buying some more vices too but. so what were the problems that you noticed yeah so we have one machine with a full width trunnion where you can put two vices on it okay and then our other two machines have rotaries with no trunnions that okay. you can attach like a single vice Mm -hmm. two and we're ending up with more and more parts that require two fourth axis operations gotcha which either means you have to design your jaws to carry up one and and up two or you have to do a vice swap 
between op one and op two. Um, so anyway, it's just not ideal. So I wanted to design new trunnions that would have two vices. Mm-hmm. I wanted them to be able to use the pneumatic vices as well as manual vices that use a 96 millimeter zero okay. point pattern. And I wanted them to have minimal swing. So gotcha. that meaning like distance from the outermost part to the center of rotation of the rotary. Um, the, the dual station trunnion that we have on the one machine right now has a lot of stack up cause it's got a zero point plate on top of it. Then it has the thickness of the table. Then we added an inch and a half thick steel stiffener to the bottom. Okay. So you can't really like put anything in front or in back of it mm-hmm. on the table without it getting hit. Um, oh, and the other goal I had was lowered overall width. So there was less interference with the spindle casting. Yeah. Um, so I think I, in this design have achieved all those things yeah. with a few compromises. Okay. But what it's going to allow us to do is mount a tray along the front of the table where we can pick up parts with a gripper. Okay. It's short enough in X that we should be able to put a flip station uh, on the end. Very cool. Um, and then we're making one that's slightly shorter that will go in the R450. Uh-huh. So if we want to automate that, we'll put the uh, flip station and tray on the other pallet. Oh, cool. Um, Man, that'd be a slick setup. <laughs> it'd be pretty cool. If, yeah. Uh, and then the last thing is to minimize the stack up issue. I found those, I sent you a link, but I found those precision ground sleeves. So instead of doing a super quick change, it's a little bit of a compromise, but instead of a quick change, 96 millimeter, Mm -hmm. it will involve like just putting these sleeves in, dropping the vice over the sleeves without any pins in there and then bolting it from below. This is, this just popped into my head. Probably not cost effective at all uh-huh. would it be worth pinging lang or fifth axis to see if they would make you a like make that zero point setup for you or do you think it would just be a like crazy expensive no i don't think it'd be too bad like well, the one single station trunnion i have i bought all the hardware from fifth axis and milled it in place okay but um the issue is because i'm also trying to do the pneumatic vices yeah their bolt pattern is different. And then I'm trying to plumb the air through. Okay. And it just, there'd be gotcha. too, too much, much going on, too much going on in Fair one enough. spot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I suspect that we're the, the eventual like thrust of this is not changing vices. Right. So I'm, but I have, well, yeah, I have had the desire to change the, like to turn my vice 90 degrees, even if I'm not, Uh huh. but I guess, yeah. This will do that. Right, right, right. It's, it's just, just not quick, but that's fine. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be bolts, such a big improvement over. I mean, we went through like calculating four yeah. bolts. If we are doing it multiple times a day, I would. 100% worth. 100% worth like making that yeah. effort. I suspect we'll be changing these around once a week at most, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. maybe eventually never. Right. If we kind of like design the workflow properly. Yeah. Um, and price that into your quoting yeah we'll see uh so the kind of what we're trying to achieve here is wasted uh over processing and and waiting basically reducing setup times reducing programming time and uh confusion 
so probably defects. All, it's all the things. It's all the things, yeah. <laughs> but it's basically a big thrust towards SMED. Interesting. Having more or less a universal setup. Yeah, that's very cool. Well, that's exciting to see uh, Yeah. some... And then I guess part of that is that our new post is almost done, which will allow us to probe the stock itself for okay. rotary work instead mm-hmm. of having to work from the center line of rotation. So that's awesome. In theory, we'll have a standard setup for all parts where it's like every op one, you probe the top of the stock and you probe the sides of the stock. And regardless Damn. of whether it's a three axis or a fourth axis operation. And that will be cool. That's huge. I know um, a lot of machines already do that, but it's been a challenge yeah, you've, to get you've the been brothers to do this. Cranking on that for a while. Very slow. I know they cranking. sell the, the chipset, but it's sort of like now, now the machine can do it, but I still can't yeah. tell the machine what to do. Yeah. Um, very cool. Uh, I turned on tool life monitoring. Mm. Uh, I just basically initialized it to start gathering data. So mm-hmm. you can record it in a few different, uh, there's a few options. You can record how many operations it's used for that tool uh-huh. or how many minutes or a third one that I'm forgetting. Uh-huh. I went for minutes, and again, we literally just initialized them for, I forget, 20,000 minutes, which is obviously way too much. Uh-huh. Um, and then we're just going to see. And it's I, a I running we, counter? So you can it just, just like, counts down. Oh, counts down. Counts okay. down, yeah. So you tell it how much life, what, what your final life is. Um, you can add a warning, a tool life warning at some other number, and you can tell it its initial life. Hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's very easy. So if you have tools that you, that are pretty standard, I would just turn it on. Mm -hmm. I wish I had done this. Like when the machine was, you literally don't need to use it. It Mm -hmm. will just, the next time you go do a tool change, you can look and go, Oh, that was this many minutes in the cut. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Write it somewhere. I'll write that down and keep going and ignore it for now. But then at some point you go, Oh, oh, it's pretty consistently around this. Let's go, uh, you know, 5% below that or 10% below that for a tool change. Yeah. Um, all of this is in the effort of, uh, going to overnight runs. I want to be pretty confident that we're making good parts. Mm hmm a lot of these carbide tools are like 12 to $50. And so relative to the value of even just the material we're going to run overnight, that's nothing. Mm -hmm. Um, So if we can improve our chances of getting good parts out, uh, that's going to be big. Again, I have no idea what our life should be set to. And so we just turned it on. So pretty simple. Um, I think in terms of, yeah, I don't know what, like, I guess that's like largely trying to reduce defects. Um, probably wasted motion because, and waiting, because, like, right now we sort of need to be on top of it, yeah. right? So we're always sort of, like, checking faces, checking surface finishes, which I don't think will go away and probably shouldn't go away. Mm-hmm. But I think it will be less speculative in yeah. a funny way. Yeah. Cool. Uh, we had talked about this a few weeks ago. We set up finally a standing UPS pickup ah. to stop driving to the UPS drop. Nice. Um, what is they, what are they charging? <clears throat> There's two different ways you can do it. One is like $10 a month. Okay. And it's basically if they're in the area, they will come by and see mm-hmm. if you have something. You're not guaranteed to pick up every day. Gotcha. However, 
I'm pretty sure they're in our area every day. Uh-huh. They often come to our shop almost every day to drop something off. Right. Um, so that's what we went with. <clears throat> There's like a $30 option that's they come every day no matter what. Gotcha. Um, we didn't quite think that was required. Fair enough. So mostly what it kind of 80, 20, $30 a month. Yeah. Yeah. A run to the store, a run to the drop off is you're getting damn close. If you do that a few times a month. Yeah. Yeah. So we're kind of tackling this as an 80, 20. Like if we absolutely need something to ship overnight, we'll still go drop it off, but this is going to take out, the majority of runs to the drop off. Okay. That's making me think I, I keep meaning to do that. We'd ship mostly USPS, but I feel like I can get them to pick up USPS. Yeah. You have a mailbox. It wouldn't really fit. in the mailbox. No, no, but they come by. They come by. Yeah. 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 I'm yeah. sure you can make it. Happen. Yeah. Yeah. I just need to do the, do the stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Talk to the people, make the stuff. Yeah. Happen. That's cool. Um, so that is what, what is that lean waste? Wasted motion. Of going to the place when they're already coming to you? Probably. Mm-hmm. Wasted human potential. <laughs> yeah. Trans- Although they are, their drivers also I guess human. not wasted motion. It's transportation. Yes. That's that's right. Um, well, yeah. It depends how you look at it. It's both. It's both of those. <laughs> yeah. Because I think this is the interesting thing. I think like a lot of lean organizations end up talking a lot to their customer to their suppliers to their business partners Mm -hmm. because it turns out that you are being like if a ups parcel arrives on your doorstep you are already paying for that to happen Mm -hmm. and so the fact that the ups driver is now leaving without taking your stuff with them yeah right like and so if you can start to coordinate i heard i forget what book this was in um they were talking about uh, like trying to identify the real problem mm-hmm. and solve that. Um, and so like if you ask a vendor to send instead of doing daily deliveries to do bu- like twice a day or three times a day mm-hmm. delivers deliveries to your line, they're going to say, well, it, it's a lot of waste because the, the trucks aren't full. Mm-hmm. Right. And so some of these people organize a truck that goes between all the vendors to pick up a third of a truck of stuff Mm. and then drive to the factory. And it's like, Uh that takes a lot of cooperation, but anyway, that's interesting. Um, yes. Uh, I also ordered, um, also, uh, also uh, I ordered a bunch of stuff to try to improve cycle times. One of the Uh. other things was, uh, we had talked about taller, hardened inserts for op one gripping of the stock so those are in i haven't tried them yet um Mm. but i was basically thinking that the added uh, it's funny because it turns out that i already have room for this but basically if i can grab onto more material i can probably rough harder Mm -hmm. substantially Mm -hmm. which will reduce um cycle time um, I, the real thing I'm running into is sometimes if there's a burr, it's very intolerant of a burr because the burr represents a meaningful percentage of the amount of material that's gripping. Yeah. And so this will reduce our chances of, um, crap, like, uh, breaking our roughing mill. And then the other thing is actually by holding on to more, I'm wondering if I can actually reduce the amount of material we use because 
on our cams, we have thick stock for rigidity, uh. not for... So I could go to thinner stock. I was almost thinking about milling a pocket into the vise that the stock sort of sits down into. Mm-hmm. So it would be like cantilevered out and then just go, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it might be a bad idea. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because I'm like cantilevered out. And so I'm trying to deal with these like bending forces. Yeah. But I think if I pocketed it into the vise. I mean, the... The thickness of the cantilever is still going to be a limiting factor. Yes, but right now I'm doing it because I need a wider base to grab onto. Ah, yeah. Anyway, it's just a thought that in a a sort of paradoxical Mm -hmm. sense, by grabbing more, I might waste less material. Yeah. (laughs) Sort of fine. Worth trying. Yeah. Cool. Uh, Yeah, I think that's kind of it. Yeah. And uh, thanks all for listening. Um, you can find me on Instagram at austere underscore manufacturing. You can find me on Instagram at lichen underscore MFG. And the podcast at incremental CI. Um, yeah, love to hear your feedback. All thoughts are welcome. Some folks have started emailing us some really in-depth info, which mm-hmm. is super awesome. Um, yeah. I feel bad because i haven't done the best job of responding with equal uh in-depth fervor ness yeah uh but it's super appreciated and um i've read through it now twice i feel like the one guy emailed us about data entry and mm-hmm. data storage and naming naming conventions conventions yeah, that were really clever and yeah. simple and easy to manage and prevent duplicates which is very cool yeah. anyway so thanks all and until next week See ya.